Are you glad you came out to church tonight? Anyone believe there is no better place to be on not just Sunday, but any day in God's house? Uh, just, before, just before I get into tonight's word, why don't we just take a moment right now just to focus on Jesus? And I just want to say, if you're thankful for Jesus, for if he's just done one thing for you in your life, why don't you just give him some praise right now and just say, thank you, Jesus. And I, I loved what George shared uh, during worship tonight. Uh, and I think that is so true. And that, that whole truth of God going above and beyond in our lives. What if we approach the word tonight believing that God's going to speak to us and he is going to go above and beyond in our lives? He's going to change something on the inside of us tonight that as we leave here, we leave here different. We leave here walking into everything that God has for us. Amen. Just before we sit down, I'm just going to pray. Father, thank you that we get to be here tonight freely worshipping you. And Lord, we just say, we fix our eyes on Jesus Christ right now in this moment. God, and we ask that you speak to us. We ask that you change us. And we ask that we, all of us, leave here tonight, never the same. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Why don't you just high five a few people and grab a seat. Who's taking notes tonight? Something I always ask our young people on Friday nights. So hopefully all the youth are taking notes right now. Uh, I want to just uh, give a shout out to Youth Revival Night happening a week on Friday. If you're 11 to 18 years of age, or if you know anyone, maybe you have uh, kids that are of that age, I want to encourage you, make sure, invite them to Youth Revival Night. It's going to be an absolutely incredible night. Uh, Awesome, awesome. You ready? Yeah. The title of my message uh, tonight is a strange one. It's eucatastrophe. A bit of an odd, big word. Eucatastrophe. I was going to add extra words to the title, but I didn't want to confuse anybody. Uh, and I'll get on in a little bit about what that means. Uh, but the scripture I want to start off with tonight comes from a, a book in the New Testament to Corinthians and it's chapter 9 and verse 8 and I'm going to read it off the screen says this and God is able to make all grace abound everybody say grace abound abound. to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work every good work I've been married for a little over a year and a half now. Uh, and those of you, and particularly the guys probably, if, if you're married, you'll know that after you get married, you have to learn a few things. And one of the, the steepest learning curves that I've had to go through is that there are often times and moments where I have to take charge of the moment or I have to take responsibility. This usually happens when there are animals that come into our house. One of my wife, Hannah, Hannah's biggest fears is rats or mice. She absolutely hates them. And we happen that we have in our kitchen, one of the like floor 
cupboards, not the high cupboards, the low cupboards. And we were keeping food in this low cupboard. Uh, and we found out, like, we put, you know, the big multi-pack bags of crisps in there and stuff. And we uh, started finding that uh, as we were going into the cupboard to get crisps or cereal boxes out, it was being chewed in. So we assumed there was a, a mouse or something coming in. Uh, now, Hannah's so scared of mice that once she figured out that there was probably a mouse that was coming into our cupboard and eating our food, she refused to open the cupboard anymore. Now, I've never had a big fear of mice or rats or anything like that, but I don't know what it is when you're with someone who is really afraid of something, you kind of get that fear as well. So suddenly I was like, Hannah's absolutely petrified of opening this cupboard. Well, I'm not going to open the cupboard. No chance. So we went for like three weeks without opening the cupboard. We had to borrow a mouse trap off my father-in-law and it took a lot of courage for me to open the cupboard just to place the mouse trap in. It's that time of year. We're getting into summer now and spiders start coming into the house. Anyone hate spiders? We've got a, a spy, We've got a downstairs uh, toilet and they're is a, quite a large spider next to the toilet and it's been there all week uh, and I'm still trying to pluck up the courage to go into the downstairs toilet and get rid of the spider I think I don't I, I saw on someone's Instagram this week I think it was Nathan Bloods who was running around the living room with a hoover trying to pick up all the spiders I feel your pain Nathan uh, now Hannah like hates, hates mice and, and rats and stuff spiders is one of heights and spiders, two of my biggest fears. Uh, and we were, after we got married, we went on a honeymoon, of course. We went to an amazing place, uh, Thailand. And uh, one of the things we did on our trip to Thailand is we went down I- into this cave. And in this cave, the walls, it was completely pitch black, and the walls were completely covered in large spiders. And as we were down there, one of the tour guides who we were with just walked up to the wall, picked a massive spider off the wall and brought it back to the group. And the guy was like, does anyone want to hold the spider? No, no. And it was one of those, I don't know if you've experienced this kind of moment where, like I was talking about one of the, the things you learn when you get married is that you have to take responsibility a lot of the time. This is one of those moments where there was a big group of people Nobody was taking responsibility. The guy was like, anyone want to hold the spider? Everyone took a massive step back. No, I'm not holding the spider. And I was like, well, I'm going to be the man. I've just got married recently. You know, I'm going to show off, impress my wife, impress all these lovely strangers that we don't know. I'm going to take charge. I'm going to take responsibility in this moment. So I was like, yes, I will hold that spider. And my wife got a film of me holding the spider. Now, this is one of like, do you have those pictures or videos on your phone of you doing something really amazing that you just have on your phone ready to show random people at any, any possible chance that you have? Like Nathan, uh, who was on stage a moment ago, he scored an amazing goal against Chesterfield Football Club at the Proact Stadium. And he had that video on his phone for years. And he was just still on his phone. He just shows, walks past people in the street, just stops them. Hey, watch this goal I scored at the Proact Stadium. Well, this is one of those videos I have on my phone that I'm like, I am so proud of this moment. So if the guys in the back, if we could play this video of me holding the spider. (laughs) (laughs) It's Hannah on the video. I hate spiders. (laughs) 
but she stay there. Thank you. I've got a picture. Alright, you can stop it. Hannah's just trying to get it. Oh, no. No. There we go. That's the most impressive thing that I've done. I remember just, just talking about moments where you have opportunities to take, take charge or take responsibility. I remember uh, where I work during the week is at, uh, for Chesterfield Borough Council. And when I, thanks, Nat. Just me and, just me and Nat. Uh, and uh, on the, when I first started, quite a few years ago now, one of the things that you often do when you start new jobs is you have an induction. So we had an induction. It was a really boring day, like a whole full day of people, random people talking about the council. It wasn't that interesting. But the most interesting part was right at the end of the day, we got to spend some time with the mayor. And the mayor, at the end of the day, would show us around his chambers. Not his bed chambers, just the... <laughs> could you imagine? Like a scene of cribs. This is my bed. This is where the magic happens. No, just his normal chambers. And uh, he was, you know, tell, telling us the kind of things that he does. And if you know the mayor, you know that the mayor, mayor wears that massive necklace medallion thing. And uh, at, when the mayor was done talking, he was like, right, does, does anyone want to wear, you know, this big necklace thing that the mayor wears? And it was another one of those awkward moments where everyone in the room was like, no. So I was like, right, I'm going to take my opportunity. I'm going to take responsibility. I'll wear the necklace. So the, the mayor takes the necklace off, puts it on me. I was like, oh, it's quite weighty, this. And then just as I put it on, he, he turns to me and goes, you know... That necklace is insured for a million pounds. I was like, you can have this right back. <laughs> but have you ever had moments in life where you're in maybe a group of people like that, or maybe you're just at home trying to sort out the spiders and other things that are in your house, and you have to take responsibility. Nobody else is going to take responsibility. It's down to you to take responsibility. Well, uh, a famous author that I want to mention tonight is a guy called J.R.R. Tolkien, who you may know as the writer of The Lord of the Rings. And he had a moment in his life where, like I was talking about taking responsibility, he had a moment where he was like, I need to take responsibility. And the way he took responsibility is that he made up this word called eucatastrophe. And basically where it comes from is that Tolkien obviously is a storyteller. He's a fiction writer, a novelist. And he was looking at stories, studying stories, and he was kind of didn't understand why there was a plot device used in stories and there wasn't a word for it. And the plot device was when you often get to the, maybe the end, end of a, a, a big story and you're looking at the, the main character or group of characters and they're like on a course for like impending doom. Like they're, they're in a place of hopelessness. Like nothing seems to going to happen that's going to rescue them. They're on their way to some uh, like doom or end. But often in fairy tales and things like that, you get to that point at the end of the story and something happens, some miracle happens. Something just comes out of the blue and turns the situation around so that in the end it's a happy ending. And Tolkien was like, right, I, I want to use this plot device in my stories, but there's no word for it. So he created this word, eucatastrophe, which is basically the opposite of 
catastrophe. Catastrophe means a sudden, unfavorable and horrible, tragic thing that happens. He was like, right, I'm going to flip that word on its head and actually create a word that instead of a sudden bad thing that happens, it's a sudden good thing that happens. Have you ever had a moment in your life where it's just seemed hopeless Yet just one thing, just one person says that one thing, just one person is generous to you in some way. And suddenly a moment of seeming hopelessness turns into a favourable situation. Well, that's exactly what this word, eucatastrophe, means. In fact, the prefix that Tolkien used, the EU, and put it at the start of the word, that, I think in the Greek, the original meaning of that, those two letters together, is good. So it's literally putting good on to a bad situation. I heard, I heard about this word quite a long time ago, but for some reason remembered it recently. I can only uh, attribute that to God. And I think when I think about this word and when we contemplate this word, what a perfect description of Jesus this word is. Like when we, we look at stories in the Gospels and just stories of the lives of people who have been affected and changed and transformed by Jesus, how many eucatastrophe moments do we see? That actually there's moments where people seem in just utter hopelessness. There is no way out for people. And then Jesus comes along and saves the day and turns everything around. What if we lived our lives believing that even, even we might get into the deepest of valleys, we may experience the darkest of days, but let's keep believing that our eucatastrophe is Jesus Christ. And if he is on our side, there is nothing that can stop us. What if we left here tonight believing that it, it doesn't matter how good or how bad my life may get, if Jesus is on my team, if Jesus is in my boat, if Jesus is on my side, there is nothing that can stop me. There is no valley that I can't get out of. There is no wall that I cannot break through because Jesus is with me. Have you ever had those people in your life that you're completely confident in? Like you just have, have no doubts that this person is capable of doing this thing. I think the first, when I ask myself this question, the first person that always comes to mind is my dad. And I think that, that comes from when I was a kid and when I'd often break toys because I didn't look after my toys. Or when I got a little bit older, it was always my younger brother, Jake, breaking all my toys. But I just had, I had this like, incredible confidence that I could take any toy to my dad and he's going to fix it for me. Like, it doesn't matter how broken it is, I can take it to my dad and he'll fix it for me. And even, even as I've got older and I play guitar and I remember spending loads of money once on this, this pedal, uh, guitar pedal. There's some over there if you have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, but I got this pedal and thought, where do I put the battery so I completely took this pedal apart and I was like, there's nowhere, to, no place to put the battery. Then I looked at the instructions and found out that there's no battery even needed in this pedal. So I was like, dad, there you go. Please fix it for me. And my dad was so stressed and like just spent hours and hours, but he fixed it in the end. He fixed it in the end. And that's what happens when you have just incredible confidence in a person 
I remember my, sorry to mention football again, it's been a terrible week for football, but one of my first memories of football is a England World Cup qualifier, I don't know if you remember this, for the 2002 World Cup, and it was the last game of the qualifiers, all we had to do was draw against Greece at home, and we just scraped through, but it was one of those games, like I talked about earlier, about those moments where you need to take responsibility, well nobody on the England team was taking responsibility except one guy, the captain, David Beckham. And he got to the end of the game and we had a free kick right at the end, had to score the free kick to qualify for the World Cup. Who is the one guy you want to step up to take that free kick? David Beckham. That's what it's like to have just a sheer confidence in a person. I want to ask you this question tonight. How confident are you in Jesus? Do you have just total, utter complete confidence in Jesus, that no matter what what place you find yourself in life, you know that Jesus is capable of doing anything. How confident are you in Jesus? And this is kind of where where I've come to, uh, I guess in recent weeks and months, I've just been asking myself this question time and time again, how confident am I in Jesus? Is Jesus everything to me? Or is he not? Because there's no, nowhere in between. He's either everything to us or he's nothing to us. And if he is everything to us, then we've got to put our confidence in him. And we've got to just attack life, really, believing that Jesus is capable of anything. And if he's on my side, he will always be the catastrophe that I need. If he's on my team and in my boat, then I can go through anything. And I want to encourage you tonight. What if you placed all your confidence in Jesus every single day of your life. Just before we finish tonight, I thought it would be awesome if we made a few statements of confidence in Jesus. A bit like putting a vote of confidence in Jesus tonight. I want to make us to make some statements together, a stake in the ground saying, Jesus, tonight our confidence is in you. And what I want to do is just look at a few stories uh, all, in, all in the Gospels. Uh, and really, the power of these stories isn't in what Jesus does in these stories, although it is powerful. But what I want to focus on tonight is the confidence of the people in Jesus in these stories. Because you see it so much if you read, read the Gospels, you see how confident people are that Jesus is capable of anything. So the first one I want to look at comes uh, from John Chapter 2, verse 5. You still with me tonight? Awesome. All these stories are really, really powerful. But the first one we're going to look at in John chapter 2 is of a wedding in Cana. And it's a famous story because it's famously the first miracle uh, that Jesus performs. And at this wedding, uh, Jesus and his mother Mary are present at this wedding. And a catastrophe occurs at the wedding. wedding. They run out of wine. Catastrophe. And what happens is, in this moment, Mary knows, well, there's only one person who can turn this catastrophe around, and that's Jesus. And I want us to just look at what Mary says to the servers. Uh, She says this in verse 5. His mother Mary said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. Our first statement of confidence tonight, write this down. Jesus, I trust in what you say. 
I apologise, I've just said the wrong one. Catastrophe. That's the one later. Right, write this one down. Jesus, I trust in what you do. I trust in what you do. How confident is Mary in this moment in the capability of Jesus? She is like, just in the, if you read the verse uh, before, right before, Jesus is like, I don't want to, like, my time isn't now. I don't want to do this miracle right now. And Mary just completely ignores Jesus, says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. That is someone who is completely confident, wholeheartedly, assuredly confident in what Jesus is capable of doing. Going back to that story I, I, I told you earlier and the, the, the little video of me holding the spider, the reason I had confidence to grab that spider is because I was watching the tour guide who was uh, an ex-Marine. He was one of those guys, you just look into his eyes and you know he's seen some things. And he was so relaxed holding the spider. I'm like, if this guy is relaxed holding the spider, then that gives me confidence to hold the spider as well. I want to encourage you, if you look at the things that Jesus has done, not just in the lives of people in the Bible, not just in the lives of people around you, you just have to look at what Jesus has done in your own life to fill you with confidence that Jesus is capable of doing anything. He is capable of doing anything. Are you confident tonight in what Jesus can do? So that's the first statement. Jesus, I trust in what you do. And then here's the second one. Jesus, I trust in what you say. And we're going to look at uh, Luke chapter 7 and verses 6 to 7, uh, which Nathan mentioned this story in the offering. So obviously God wants to speak to us through it, definitely. And as Nathan was sharing earlier, it's the story of the centurion who has a servant who is basically on their deathbed. And he hears about this guy, Jesus, who is nearby and he sends uh, other servants to go out to Jesus to ask uh, Jesus to come and heal the centurion's servants. Uh, But then the centurion just obviously seems to have this revelation that Jesus doesn't have to be in the room to heal my servant. Actually, all, all that needs to happen is for Jesus to speak the words and his servant will be healed. So he sends some other servants back to Jesus and here's, here's what they say to Jesus. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. That is an example of a person that is so confident in the words of Jesus that they don't believe that Jesus has to be in the room just to heal his servant. Actually, we just need Jesus to speak the words. How confident are you in Jesus's words? Are you confident that what Jesus says is true? Are you confident that what Jesus says has the power to heal? Are you confident that when Jesus speaks, things start to happen? There is so much power in the words of Jesus. Uh, I loved seeing on on Paul's Instagram, uh, 
this week, uh, and I think I've seen him post this before, but he was talking about the fact that he always reads, makes an effort to read the words of Jesus every single day. And I think that is such a powerful, powerful thing. Because what happens when we consume ourselves with Jesus's words on a daily basis, here's what happens. We become more confident in his words. If we consume our lives with the words of Jesus, we become more confident in his words. So that means that when we go through things in life, whatever it may be, we believe and we have confidence in the fact that Jesus just has to say one thing for this situation to be turned around. Actually, Jesus only has to speak one word for that you catastrophe to occur in our lives. There is, there is no other words that can be spoken more powerful than the words of Jesus Christ. No other words. So are you confident in Jesus's words tonight? And then lastly, the whole team can join me on stage. I just want to look at one more. And for us to make one more statement of confidence in Jesus. And this last story comes from Matthew chapter 14. uh, Which is another famous story of when Jesus walks on water. And this happens uh, while all the disciples are in uh, a boat. And there's a, a big storm that's happening around them. And what happens in the midst of the storm is that they, the disciples see a man walking. They at first think it's a ghost and are scared, but then realise it's Jesus walking towards them. And when Jesus gets towards them, the story then focuses on one of the disciples, Peter, who says, I think, one of the most radical things that I've ever read or heard anyone say. So let's look at what Peter says. He says in verse 28, Lord, this is while Jesus is on the water. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. And then Jesus says, come. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. This is again, another one of those moments where we find a group of people And nobody is taking responsibility. Nobody knows what to do. They've just seen Jesus walk on water, which I imagine if any of us were in that situation, we'd be pretty shocked, have no idea how to react to seeing something as amazing as this. But we get Peter in this moment taking responsibility and really taking an opportunity. And he says this radical thing, Lord, if it's you, then tell me to come to you on the water. Here's our last statement of confidence tonight. Write this down. Jesus, I trust in where you call me. How confident would Peter have had to be in where Jesus was calling him to go for him to step out onto the boat? See, by this point, Peter was fairly uh, good and fairly used to the idea of following Jesus time and time again before this Jesus had been saying to Peter follow me come come where I go and it's pretty easy doing that on land but here we get a moment where Jesus is giving Peter the opportunity to follow him and because Peter was already confident so confident in where Jesus was calling him to go, that it didn't faze him, that he was about to walk where no man had ever walked before. And that's because he was so confident 
in where Jesus was calling him to go? How confident are you where Jesus is calling you? It all just starts with baby steps. Just that daily decision to follow Jesus, to go where He's calling us. And that means that when we get to the times in life as believers where Jesus is calling us to take a step into a place where nobody has been before, we're able to take that step boldly and with confidence because our confidence is not in our own ability, but actually it's in the One who is calling us to step out. Where could your life end up if you were totally confident in where Jesus called you to go? Just imagine for a moment where your life would end up if your confidence was in where Jesus was asking you to step. If I think of an example of that in my my own life, I never really thought too much about this, but actually thinking about it, it's a huge thing. My mum and dad... uh, when they joined Icon Church a long, long time ago, they didn't live in Chesterfield. Actually, they made a move down from up north. And like I'd hear that story growing up and I'd just never think much of it. But actually, what an incredible story, an example of two people whose confidence wasn't in themselves, but whose confidence was in where Jesus was calling them to be. You see, my life would not look like how it looks like if their confidence wasn't in Jesus in that moment. I want to ask you, why don't you just think about your life? Would you be here tonight if you or someone you love, their confidence wasn't in Jesus and where Jesus was calling them to go? How confident tonight are you in Jesus? Are you confident in what Jesus can do? Are you confident in what Jesus can say? And are you confident in where Jesus is calling you to go? Just going back to that verse I started with, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 at the start, which is written by the Apostle Paul. And he, he's saying in this verse that God is able to make all grace abound to you. What is Paul's saying and what is God saying through this verse he's saying that God is able to give you all the grace that you need for you to achieve everything that God has called you to achieve well we know or some of us know maybe you don't know this tonight but actually Jesus is the personification of grace so when this verse say that says that God is able to make all grace abound to your life what it is saying is that there is enough of Jesus to go round. There is enough of Jesus for you to experience in your life, in your soul, in your heart. There is enough of Jesus. And really the application for for what I'm trying to say tonight is is really simple. And really what Paul uh, said this morning, and if you were here this morning and heard that message, sometimes it's good to hear things twice. So I think that means that God's trying to get something through to you. But even if you're just at tonight's service, here's how, what we do as we leave here. What if we made that decision every single day to choose to follow Jesus? Just every single day, wherever Jesus is asking us to go, we go with him. Every single day, we accept that invitation to follow Jesus. And our lives will become and start to look more and more radical, incredible, just 
mind-blowing if we make that daily decision to surrender everything that we have and choose to follow Jesus. Are you ready to put your confidence in Jesus tonight? Amen. Church, why don't we stand in this moment? I'm going to pray and then we're just going to go into a short time of worship. But wherever you're stood, why don't you just close your eyes, maybe put your hands out in front of you. And I just want us to just take a moment right now. Let's place our focus on the one who matters. Let's place our focus on the one who is capable to turn anything around. The one who is the eucatastrophe of our lives, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, in this moment, we fix our eyes on you. We fix our thoughts, our attention on you right now. And we ask that you invade our hearts, that you invade our souls. Jesus, we are making these statements of confidence in you tonight. That Jesus, we trust in what you can do. Jesus, we trust in what you say. And Jesus, we trust in where you are calling us. God, I pray for anyone who is distant from Jesus tonight, that as we focus on you right now, Lord, God, that you change us. God, that we experience you right now, God, and Jesus, that you draw close to us. In your holy name, amen. Come on, let's sing.